You're listening to Bring Me the Axe. I'm Brian White, one half of this morbid equation, and I'm joined by my co-host and actual brother, Dave White. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Oh, oh boy. Um, you know what? I tell you what. I'm doing okay, but I feel like this whole November has been like a time warp. It just kind of happened, and then it's over, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah, I feel like I've just been like fired out of a cannon for the last six weeks. And I, I am just like, what, what, what's going on? What's everybody doing? Yeah. Why is it Christmas time? Already? Yeah, I was like, all right, after Halloween passed, I was like, you know what? All right, we'll just coast to Christmas. It'll be it'll be fine. It'll be a nice couple of months. But then all of a sudden, fucking November's over. Yeah, yeah I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So what are you drinking over there? It looks fancy. Oh, it is fancy. This is uh, Anna. This is a, uh, a hill farmstead. It's a farm a farmhouse ale with honey. Ooh. It's fucking delicious. Yeah. Uh, it is probably my favorite beer of the year. Is this one of the ones you got on your little little road trip to Portland? Uh, I got this in Vermont at Hill Farms. Ah, all right. Not recently, though. This was a while back. <laughs> no, I recently went to Allagash. Uh, oh, all right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a connoisseur of beers. <laughs> you know, you, like, you, you know some beers. You seem to really appreciate it, too. I do. I'm over here drinking a Coca-Cola. That's disgusting. <laughs> you, are, you are garbage. You are a trash person. Gar- garbage person. So we practically grew up in neighborhood video stores and the steady diet of utter garbage that those shops provided us with continues unabated to this day. There's no one else I enjoy chopping it up with more about trashy movies than Dave. Just before we get into it, a little housekeeping. If you want to keep up with us between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Bring Me the Axe Pod. You can find Dave at That Queer Wolf. We're having a good time over there. You will too. Give us a follow. We've also got a sweet website at BringMeTheAxe.com. You can listen to all our past shows there and read the transcripts. You can also contact us directly at bringmetheaxpod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. Do let us know if there's a movie that you love and would like to hear us give it the business. Lastly, if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And you'd be doing us a favor by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So, mm-hmm. you know, that I've seen that number rise, and it's it's nice. And we've got a couple of we got a couple of really, really nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. So to all of you people who've done that, who've actually like pushed the button. Mm-hmm. To, to give us the five-star review, or you've actually taken a few minutes to actually write a review, mm-hmm. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. But to you people who listen and haven't done that, I want to talk to you over here for a second. Man, what the fuck are you doing? You're making me look like an asshole over here. Yeah, it, but you should do it. You should do it anyway, though, because it'd be like a Christmas present to me. And uh, and it also, I, there, if you want to get me other Christmas presents, uh, I like horror movies uh, and beer. That's, that's, that's about it. Yeah. So those three things, you give me those. Yeah, three. just just take a couple of seconds out of your day. Just uh, push a little button there that says five stars. You don't even have to write a review. But if you do, we'd really appreciate it because that that, that yep. goes a long way. So I just want to get that all out of the way right at the top of the show. So here we are. Thanksgiving has yeah. has passed us. It was a wonderful little Thanksgiving that I had. We watched Mystery Science Theater 3000 all day like we do every year. Uh, eat a lot of food. Uh, but also, we watched Blood Rage. So, so here, I uh, yeah, I worked, I worked all day. <sighs> yeah. So I wrote stories about murder, <laughs> and then I think I had pizza. <laughs> you were thankful for that pizza, and, yep. and for murder. Yep. Yep. So here we go. Here's a, here's a little taste. Here's a little taste of what you're going to get tonight. Looks like you're going to get a chance to meet the rest of the family. My psychotic brother just escaped. 
Anybody else need more turkey? No, I'm pretty good, thanks. I don't like to talk about my brother. He gives me nightmares. This Thanksgiving. You know, somebody ought to tell him to get inside. Nobody should be out with my brother around. He looked exactly like Terry, except he had this really wild, crazed look in his eyes. Real sweetheart, you know that? A real sweetheart. It's not cranberry sauce, Artie. It's not cranberry sauce. That's not cranberry sauce, Artie. Yeah, that's when it kind of got to see really to experience it. Yeah, yeah. Also, I, like most trailers, it's a visual. It game. really is. Like I, I play them. I play them because I remember a time when on the radio they actually used to run movie trailers. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, the trailers were very. You know, there's a lot of dialogue and shit. Some trailers that we run, not a lot of dialogue. It's just a lot of music and people screaming. So it's kind of hard. This one's a weird one because I'm not sure if that's that that can't be the actual theatrical trailer. And I'm not convinced that this movie actually. I don't think it even had. I don't think it did because it had a very, very limited theatrical run under a different name that we'll talk about. But it was it was released to video, but like years after the movie was produced so like well it was released in theaters too well right right that's what i said it's gonna but it had a very very short run it was an entirely different movie that was released to theaters basically this was like a troubled production that kind of sat on a shelf until somebody came along and kind of sliced it together and so i don't I'm not convinced that there was ever really a, a trailer for this movie. No, no. No, like I said to you earlier, this is a movie that people talk about like like oh, that old classic, like it's like it's Friday the 13th. And the reality is pretty much nobody had seen this movie until Arrow released the Blu-ray in like 2018 or 2017. Yeah, I'd never even heard of it until you mentioned it and it was about this time last year that I watched it for the very first time. So, yeah. And maybe it's you can kind of see why it was a forgotten. Well, I can see it. I also don't like why, because it's very much like the tail end of that first cycle of teen slash. Right. So it would have been it was it was produced in 83 with the intention of being released in 1984, which would have put it really right at the end of what's really kind of considered the golden age of the slasher. Right. Yeah, either like the very end or the beginning of the sort of second cycle. But I, the, you know, it's like the, it has the reason people don't never really saw it or heard about it was like it gets made in 83-ish and then it gets shelved and it comes out in 87 at a time when like, it, and it's like late 87. And it's at a time when horror was very different right, by that right. point. So it's like this movie feels very old, even by 1980. Right. Cause 84 happens. And like, there's a couple of, there's a couple of real solid hits in there, but also 84 is the year that nightmare on Elm street comes out and changes everything. Right. And so, yeah, so the one-offs are kind of done. By yeah, that and way. it's not even, and it's not even that like, that's not even really sort of like the watershed moment. Cause 87 is the year that, Dream Warriors came out, and that's the movie. That's eighty. That was eighty-seven, and so that's yeah, I guess that that's the movie where Freddy becomes the sort of like the masthead, fucking borscht belt comedian that he, <laughs> we, we know and love yeah, today. He, that's the one where he becomes quippy and cute, and everybody like is buying the costumes and the toys and all the shit. So like, it's after that that you could no longer just make. like a a crazy person slasher movie like even jason is all of a sudden a zombie killer michael myers has this whole like 
supernatural angle. We get Chucky not long oh, after bullshit. that. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody's got to, you know, everybody's got to have a magic trick behind him. You- but this is also, uh, as opposed to those, this is a regional film. Like, I mean, as much as it gets sort of, it, Arrow is one of the biggest, I think, indie releasers yeah. at this point. And so for them to do this, it's kind of a big deal. But this is still a, a, a regional slasher. So it's it's basically nobody. It's made by nobody. It stars nobody yeah. with the exception of one person. And like the biggest names on this movie are the makeup guy and the composer. Aside from and Louis, Louis Lasser. Lasser. But yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Like Richard Einhorn did the, does the music. Ed French does the special effects. We'll talk about both of them. So let's let's do it. Let's get into it. This is uh, <laughs> these are the facts as uh, as they've come to be understood. So the the year was 1987, but it was produced like we said in 1983. So other movies released that year. Don't wait. Which year? What? Which which hey, year? I'm doing 87. We'll just we'll we'll say okay. it's 87. So I, I know what you're going to say. Don't panic. Hell yeah. 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 Refer to our don't panic episode. It is. And just watch the movie because it is fantastic. It's, it's yeah, it's majestic. Uh, also released that year from a whisper to a scream, which yeah. features uh, <laughs> uh, a necro. Which begrudgingly features Vincent, Vincent Price, Price and Susan Terrell, who are the best, the yeah. best parts of the whole movie. But also there's a necrophilia baby in it. Uh, there's also Bad Taste came out that year. The uh, Peter mm-hmm. Jackson flick. Stage fright, um, which is that that's that's Umberto. No, 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 that's uh, uh, Lamberto Baba, right? I think so. it's either that Michelle or it's Suave, or it's or it's Michele Suave. Um, I'm not sure they did so much together. I could look it up, I suppose, but yeah, it's it's either. I mean, it's Lamberto Baba's output is pretty low end, and and stage fright is a little bit higher end, so I'm gonna say maybe not. Him. Yeah, it's gotta be Suave, but. That <laughs> that's a movie that I I hardly really re- I don't really remember anything about it. But the only thing that really keeps me fascinated is I am dying to know what that fucking play is about because it is full of just crazy bullshit. Well, I think nonsense. It's about nonsense. <laughs> I like that movie a lot. I think it is big and it is melodramatic and really fucking stupid. It's extremely uh, Italian. But the killer is so bizarre. And that giant owl costume is kind of awesome. Super evocative. Yeah, it really is. Yep. Uh, and uh, rounding out the, b- the bunch for 1987, The Monster Squad. Mm. Fine, fine. Fine film if there ever was one. Cast and crew. Uh, this was directed by a guy named John Grismer. And like so many of the directors featured on this pod, he produced a couple of movies and then fucked off to do something else. Uh, I found that looking up information about him was crazy hard. There's just not... I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. Not much to know, but I did find some interesting stuff. So before and after Blood Rage, he was primarily a stage guy. He directed one other movie, which is in this movie. Oh, Scalpel? Uh, Scalpel. And then... See, that Arrow also put that out. I would... I, I looked it up. Looks interesting. Looks a little more sophisticated than this one. I'd be interested yeah. in seeing it. Uh, but then eventually he just bails on directing. He writes a few books, uh, one of them being a stage musical about the invention of the sport of basketball. Mm. Yeah. And he's like a, Thri- a thriller. Though. He's a, he's, he's like, a, like, a, I think it says like a consulting professor at Xavier college in, in Cleveland, which is also his okay. alma mater. I don't know. So yeah. he's a real Renaissance. He's, man, he's so. all over the place. Uh, but also, he yeah, he wrote a bunch of books after this, and like, that's that seems to be his bread and butter these days. 
special effects were done by Ed French, as we mentioned, who you know from Sleepaway Camp. And uh, like eventually, so so all the prosthetic effects in this movie have the same sort of rubbery look as in Sleepaway Camp, but many of the effects and the illusions are well above the norm of its contemporaries. Like, oh yeah, no, they're really they're, the scenes, the, the the kind of violent death scenes in this are really brutal. They're brutal and they're very impressive. Yeah. Uh, cause, and it's, we, it's weird because like he was one of the other guys who's, he, he has nothing to do with Tom Savini, but he's one of these guys who's like working the illusion angle in order to su- sort of actually do the violence on screen. A couple of times in this movie, it really, really works out well. Mm-hmm. And then also some of them are pretty fucking hilarious. Oh yeah. And then he eventually graduates to work on some seriously big deal movies in the nineties, uh, but if a low-budget movie in the 80s boasted better special effects than the movie deserved, for instance, Mutant Hunt, uh, it probably had Ed French Ooh. working on it. Mutant Hunt is is a hard one to get through. Yep. But man... I think that's a mystery science theater movie, isn't it? No, no. But uh, no. Vinegar Syndrome put it out just recently, and it's really, really bad. It's a very, very bad movie that has a fucking awesome special effect at the end. Uh, cast, we got... Louise Lasser, star of the weirdo cult 70s soap opera spoof, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Now, it's a good show. Have, have you watched it? Because I before this, yeah. I'd never seen it. It was the sort of thing that I think I was really only familiar with the title because of it. Like, it got name checked on The Simpsons. But, like, I watched so a few of them. On, there were two seasons of it, but then there was a spinoff. Because wasn't uh, it was, Fernwood Tonight was a spinoff. Fern, well, right, yeah, because she left. She was like, fuck this. This is really hard. Because it's not, it's, it wasn't. I'm going to go steal a dollhouse. I'm out of here, y'all. She, she, they were doing it on a soap opera schedule. So it was like all the time and she's not a soap opera actress. And so it was just this like grueling, brutal schedule that she had to keep up with. And after two seasons was like, fuck this, I'm done. And so for about 20 more episodes, they were like, okay, we'll call it Fernwood tonight. uh, And it'll be about all the other people without her and then everybody just kind of was like eh we're, we're in it for louise lasser apparently I mean, it's for which tonight's pretty good it's they're both like weird absurdist uh kind of comedy dramas you know and well for tonight's not really a drama but mary hartman kind of i was. found the, especially the first i found the, the all the stuff that i watched mostly just clips was deeply unsettling in the same way that like twin peaks is it's uncanny yeah. and it's weird it's absurdist theater yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're if you were a weird child like me who watched Taxi, you might remember her as Alex Rieger's ex-wife on Taxi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think this movie was made sort of more during because she had kind of a, a, a kind of a career reboot in the late '80s and early '90s, and so I think this was kind of the fallow period for her. Because yeah. even she admits, and I watched an interview, and she was just like, "Well, I can't really remember why I decided to do this. I probably just needed money." And I was like, "Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> That's why I do most yeah. things." But uh, yeah, so she though she's in several key scenes with the rest of the cast, there are as many scenes where she's just off by herself rattling around her condo doing insane yeah, shit. Yeah, she's in a very different movie. It's like she's in an entirely separate movie and she has this deranged quality about her that seems to extend beyond her character. So like in the 70s, yeah. there's all these like weird incidences of her having like very public like nervous breakdowns. Uh, like on TV. She was the first person to get kicked off of or to get uh, uh, refused readmittance to NSL. <laughs> or NSL SNL. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, I, it's hard to tell what's real and what the network sort of tried to spin as like, oh, we meant to do that. So, yeah. Like one of them, the, the dollhouse incident that you mentioned actually got written into the Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. And that, that involves her going to some sort of a, a charity event and she wanted a dollhouse that cost like a couple hundred bucks. She tried to buy it on her credit card, which got declined. And then she made a, some kind of very, very public scene that involved the police showing up in which they found Coke in her purse, which explains it. I mean, that would explain why she wanted the dollhouse so badly. Things, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Her, her, it, she, it was either that or open a restaurant yeah. <laughs> or start a music menu. She, um, yeah, she, she also, she had a really fucked up life and, uh, to sort of top it all off, she married Woody Allen at some point, which seems to be like a a real kind of key downfall moment for a lot of people. For a lot of, a lot of people who have married Woody Allen. (laughs) Yes. Good God. A fucking nightmare. What a sleep. Yeah. So, uh, also in the cast is a guy named Mark Soper who's playing both twin brothers, Terry and Todd. And he seems to be actively working to this day, but beyond a couple of minor titles, the bulk of his work is in bit parts. Uh, I think he does a lot of stage stuff. Probably, probably. I would imagine that because I think Marion Cantor, who's the producer on this, was working out of New York. So, like, of course, everybody's everybody's in stage. But, yeah, and, and he's pretty good. Like, he... He's interesting. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say he's good. He tur- He does. He. This is. He's good in certain certain parts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there. I think I read that in certain uh, some reviews of this movie that that remark that like sometimes he seems to be sleepwalking through the role, but then there's other moments where he clearly was very into what he was doing. But he's very and I inconsistent. Think that's the problem with the whole movie is the movie itself is very inconsistent. It's like. It doesn't know what kind of movie it wants to be. At some points, it leans so far into kind of self-awareness that it almost tips forward it's, and it gets with shitty. And then other times it's like, nope, just a regular slasher movie. And it's kind of like, all right, it's a little bit dumb. But yeah, it's not. It goes back and forth. It's weirdly inconsistent. The pacing's a little strange, yeah. but it, it pretty much just bangs along after a certain point. Yeah, I definitely noticed. Like, I watched this a couple of times, as I usually do for these And like the first time I watched it where I was just taking it in and sort of like thinking about what I was going to say about it. Like I, it it moves along, you know, at kind of a snappy pace, but for whatever reason, during the notes run, it took me fucking hours to get through, to get through it. I kept getting distracted. Like, uh, yeah, I got a little bit, I got really distracted when I was watching it today. It gets a little, it's like there are parts that are kind of boring and, and they're still like, they're weird in ways that aren't that fun. Yeah. Like it feels, it's the kind of movie that feels like it was made by multiple people over a very long period. <sighs> I get the feeling that that's because that's what really happened. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so rounding out the cast because there's nobody else in this movie who's really worth mentioning is Ted Raimi, who shows up in a really, really small part. And, and it's his first role. Uh, this... No, they made he has he has said as much. He says it is his first role. Weird, because he's in Evil Dead. He said his he went he went to uh, uh, New York, and his father was like, "All right, you've got a year to make this thing work, and if it, you do not get any parts, you're going to come back to Detroit and work with me." And I don't know whatever. I think he was. I think it was a. Uh, they were furniture. It was like a furniture store. Yeah, and so he was like, "All right, fair deal." And he said he got like the year was pretty much up. He wrote his father a letter and was like, "You were right." This was a bad idea. I'm sorry. And I was like, hey, you shouldn't say you're sorry, but okay. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Um, 
And then he was like, so I was about to like pack my shit and go home. And I just, I got this part. So maybe it's like, it's just, you know, evil dead is he, he's in it because his brother made yeah. it. Okay. This is the, this is his first role. Like as an actual, actor. I see what you're saying. Yeah. For some reason he plays a one-off joke at the very beginning. That's creepier than it is funny. Yeah, that scene is real fucking yeah. weird. So let's, uh, let's, let's run some notes here. Uh, the taglines for this movie, not all the evil is on Elm Street. Fucking terrible. Wicked bad. None of these are very, are, are very good. Nope. Nope. Or, or even reflective of the nope, movie. Nope. Like this one. Some things never rest in peace. Nope. What does that have to do nothing. with Nothing. Got nothing to do with it. That one was tied to, uh, I think it's called Nightmare at Shadow Woods. Yep. Which they sold which with a big, the... like, with a, with a big, like, gravestone on the poster and shit. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Oh, also, here's another one. Nightmares do come true. Also tells me total nothing. bullshit. God, fuck you, whoever wrote yeah, these. They're the worst. I hope you. I hope you never worked again. Well, let me uh, let me hit you with some some con- some contemporaneous reviews. <laughs> well, actually, man... hey, I got one more. I got one more. Oh, this thanks right. this Thanksgiving. It's not cranberry sauce. Which get used to that so, one because you're gonna hear it a lot. Yeah, they got some fucking. I believe that, that one. one. That one came from Arrow. Um, yeah, so I was digging around. I mean, I was trying to find like uh, contemporary reviews, and there aren't that many of them yeah. because, again, it's a regional movie that didn't do very well. Um, the one of the ones, uh, let's see, this is from the Corpus Christi Times, and it's perhaps Miss Lasser thought she was participating in a different sort of film. Perhaps the producers of this film allowed her to think that. <laughs> but in the context of this woeful movie, she is pathetically out of place. And you know what? I'm not going to disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, this is another one. This, uh, this one's not very kind. It's, uh, it is from Bill Von Moorer from the Miami news. And it says Lasser looks buck toothed and redneck. God damn. Her eyes, her eyes bug constantly and her talent. If there ever was any sags in every scene to which I say, come on, man, that's some real fucking massage. That is right there. brutal, brutal shit. That, and God, damn, fuck that guy. So in the last one, this is a really good one from the Tulsa World, John Woolley. John Woolley from Tulsa World. Coming at, come to come to you live from Tulsa World News. Uh, John Grismer's directorial hand is, to be charitable, not exactly firm. Shots don't match up. The acting level varies widely from scene to scene. And occasionally, it appears as if Grismer just had his cameraman turn on the camera and let it run. <laughs> the, the garish, flat color and skin flick lighting are in keeping with the generally sleazy nature of the film. I'm, you know I'm going to I'm I'm give it to him. I, I can see I that. I can see that. Going to give it to him on that one. So, yeah, some of these a little bit mean, but not wrong. Yeah. So this movie goes by several titles. So during production, it was called The Complex. Uh, and you can actually see that in the in the in the credits. Oh yeah, none of these titles are good. It's, yeah, so in the credits, it's it's Complex Productions, I think, is the company that produced it. Uh, and of course, it's referring, I believe, to the condo complex that the movie takes. Yeah. Not a ca- terribly compelling title. It was changed to Slasher, which is the version I want. Right. So if you get it from Arrow, you get the movie that has the original title over it. It's a Slasher. Uh, so that was the one before it got shelled for several years. So then in 87, when it was finally put together, it was cut significantly and was retitled to Nightmare at Shadow Woods. 
And then it, it was released very briefly in theaters, I believe, in Florida. And it was also heavily edited. Yeah, yeah. for some and reason. And then it got even further edited. Which is crazy, because the, 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 the feature-length version, like the restored version that Arrow does, not the composite version. That's like 87 minutes. like 82 minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. So, same year, Grismer's original cut of the movie was retitled to Blood Rage and released to videotape. And then Arrow comes along, makes both versions available in a three-disc release a couple of years back that also includes a third composite cut for completists because Nightmare at Shadowwoods has scenes in it that like the slasher blood rage version doesn't, but apparently it's, it's sort of, it's sort of like filler shit in the same way that like John Carpenter's TV version of Halloween is. So fuck it. Yep. Um, Grismer and Lasser clashed so hard and so frequently that he, that he, the director, John Grismer, walked off set and refused to come back. Marion can't. So I'll tell you, though, it seems like everybody, when they talk about, specifically when people talk about Louise Lasser in this movie, everyone seems really careful about what they say. Like, everyone's just like, oh, no, it, she was, she, she worked on the movie. <laughs> she was there. Yep, she's a lady. <laughs> she, she's an actor in the I, film. Yes. I do recall yes. her being on set, yes. Yep, no, we did. I wrote a check to her, yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Mar- well, was she any good in it? Uh, she's in the movie. She is an actor. Yeah, if there's a lot of that, because there's a lot of like people being like, some people are like, oh, Louise Lasser, she was a real trip. And it's like, I think I know what you're getting at here. <laughs> and then, but when you add, like, there's an interview with her, and I, I think it's from the, the Arrow release, that she, and she's talking about like, this scene, because she doesn't really say much about, she doesn't seem to remember much. Well, she says she doesn't remember much, but then she goes on to talk about it quite with, with detail. So it's like, I think you do, but she doesn't talk about the director specifically. She talks about the, the role, though, and the way she talks about it is that, like, you get the feeling she didn't really understand it, and she didn't really understand horror in general. She'd never really been in a horror movie. And I think, by extension, she didn't get horror movies at all. Like she'd never even seen one before, because she seems to find it all very bewildering. Yeah. And so they're like, so in her head, it's like, okay, you're terrified, you're you're really freaked out, you're scared. And to her, that translates to you're a fucking maniac through this entire movie, because she spends a quarter of this movie just screaming, or yeah, or incoherently like sobbing on the phone. Yeah, it's really really bizarre. Like. Her- it's a lot of really weird shit. So everybody is just like, uh, yeah, no, she she was in it. It was you know it's a real wild experience. Yeah. Um, what's a, the the producer is even like, um, it was a real rough experience for everybody. It's, yeah, it sounds like it. Like, yeah. I, but it sounds like she just didn't like. He was just trying to like, let's just fucking get through this movie. And she was just like, what's my motivation? And he's like, I don't know anymore. I don't even know what you're I don't doing. Care. I just want to get done with this. I need to. Re- I don't even need to get paid. Just go away. I, I'm writing a play about basketball. So yeah, um, Marion Cantor, the producer. Also, she's the woman who plays uh, the the doctor in this. She plays the doctor because the the woman that they cast for the role just didn't show up for the part, which explains a lot of things. Eventually, when we get to them, it explains certain yeah. things. So. I suspect, yeah, that, like you said, I think that Louise Lasser was very, very difficult to work with. She 
seems to which is a real like i hate that phrase because it's a really loaded phrase that's usually used to be like oh she's a woman in hollywood she's just a bitch. yeah, yeah. it's like no i think this time louise lasser might have actually been pretty difficult to work right with. yeah so yeah good god but it, and it shows but the thing is for me the reason to watch this movie is her for yeah, like because through if, and through if anyone ever wonders what is camp Louise Lasser in this movie is it's camp. oh man because the rest of the movie it's just it's a mostly unremarkable slasher it's got some key moments of violence that really are are very cool but the story is is dumb all the char- all They're, the like, all the characters are fucking morons uh, like it's just there's there's one particular character that when she finally dies I was like oh thank God. So, uh, yeah, this is like a very bad, like if you think about like, uh, slashers and maybe, um, and this kind of cycle of horror movies in general as like a game of telephone, this is the kind of at the end where you start with like Bob Clark and John Carpenter being like, we're going to make awesome fucking movies, everybody. And then it kind of gets filtered down and filtered down and, and eventually everyone's just like, what is it? They're all really horny and awful, and then they get killed very brutally. Sounds great. Let's make that. It's like, no, 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 no. I think you missed a, a big chunk of what was happening before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because this is that. This is These people are fucking deplorable, and all they want to do is have sex, and they're all awful. Let's kill yep. them. Precisely, yeah. So also, I have a feeling that this is – that even though John Grismer is the director, I have a feeling that Marion Cantor is – this was primarily her production. Well, I think that's also why this movie took so long to come out on, like, uh, in a physical release for, like, home media, is it sounds like there was a lot of back and forth between, or, like, there was uh, licensing issues and rights issues, where she was trying to buy the rights back because whoever owned them was like, yeah, no, we don't really want to put any more money into this. We're not putting it out. And so she was like, it took forever until she finally got them back. It sounds like she was very much the one driving this. Yeah, because she was the one who got all the money together to make it. And it was all, it was all put together from like there's no there's no film production there's no production company behind this was purely independent and it was it was financed by like investors meaning like people she when i use the term regional slasher i should probably clarify that that's what that means is it's not it doesn't have a studio backing it it's not shot in hollywood it's like regional movies are movies that are made usually with money uh kind of fund fights they're funded by like local investors in in like a producer yeah. that's how the movie gets made and some of them are most of them are terrible um but i mean halloween was a regional slasher yeah. so yep <clears throat> some of them are great yep. but they're, they're very very few and far between uh the music is a rad electronic score by richard einhorn as we mentioned hell yeah. themes why is this not out on any? i don't know the theme song is the one song that every outrun musician is out has been copying since the mid-2000s uh, he also did great scores for The Prowler and Don't Go in the House. Yeah, Prowler's one of my favorites. Don't Go in the House, I don't love. Uh, I love the disco songs. Didn't he do, he also did, uh, what's the Nazi zombie one? Oh, Shockwaves. Yeah, he he did, did, do that? He did some stuff with Ken Wiederhorn also. But he yeah. did that one, yeah. Uh, and another one that I'm, I'm forgetting the title on. I, that's a dude who I cannot abide by, his fucking shockwaves when i finally caught up to that one i was like oh god this is the movie that people have been like praising for so many years oh it's fucking it's terrible it's like almost unwatchable. it's extremely fucking boring and it makes perfect sense that like return of the living dead is as bad as it is is because he's the fucking one who who, who pulled up to try to like reproduce the energy and magic of the original anyway 
So we open on a drive-in theater in 1974 in Jacksonville, Florida, for some reason. Which is actually in beautiful New Jersey. And so a dapper 80s gentleman buys some popcorn, then pops into the restroom to what would seem to be buying drugs from a shifty dude in an overcoat. Either that or meeting an anonymous man for sex. <laughs> that, that's Because that is how that shit reads real hard. <laughs> Ted Raimi, like, sidles up to him, kind of gives him the eye, opens his jacket, and is like, condoms? Yep. And it's like, okay, I'm pretty sure I know where this is going. I've seen this in some other movies. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just like some weird 80s shit where it's like, this would work in like a high school cafeteria in like an 80s kind of sex comedy. Yeah. It is plays very, very different in a horror movie <laughs> where everyone is ostensibly an adult and this shit's real fucking creepy because there's no words. It's not like there's like people clamoring around him. He's not like the you know the kid in the high school movie that's got like porn mags and condoms and whatever. Yeah. It's just like a dude who kind of like slowly and slyly approaches him. It's like, hey, oh yeah, and for some weird. for some reason he's costumed like he just stepped off the set of the Grapes of Wrath. Well, either that, I was like, he's got a real heavy, like, pretty and pink vibe, like, just kind of like real dapper, like, ring a ding, yeah. kind of like, eh, yep. all right, well, it's Jacksonville, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's classy for Jacksonville, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, apologies to anyone in, you know what, not apologies to anyone in Jacksonville. <laughs> that state you, Yeah, you, you've had your chance in Florida. So yeah, he's selling condoms like a creep. And I realize that this is very convenient if you're at the movies, you want to have sex. But this guy could have just gone to CVS before the movie. But yeah. the, uh, the 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 all the condoms have really like, I mean, apart from like the Trojans, they have really fucking funny names like chic, as in like oil chic and fiesta. Mm-hmm. As in uh, oil fiesta. Oil fiesta. Yep. My new band, so, oil fiesta. Yep. So now say goodbye to Ted because he's not coming back. And apparently, this is where everybody goes to fuck. It's like a public park in England or something. I, there's something really weird about this shot. So in the the Ted Raimi interview I watched, he talks about how, like, this was in an abandoned uh, drive-in in New Jersey. Yeah. And he was like, there were so many abandoned drive-ins in that time. And I thought, is that why they show up in movies a lot in the 80s and into the early 90s? It's like these places, they looked more or less the way that they were left when people left them in the late 70s, early 80s because the multiplexes took yeah. over and nobody went to the drive-in oh. anymore. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's something that I kind of think about, and it's like, uh, it was something that you saw a lot in the '80s because a lot of these movies obviously are being written by boomers, and so yeah. for the same reason that like whenever they they do like a comedy or something like that, pop music would would feature. It was always like Little Richard or yeah, thanks Kenneth Anger, <laughs> you know, or you know, or, or something like old music from like 1960 or something. Yeah, like it's that. American graffiti. Yeah. So I yeah, it's just it's just it's happy days in American. It's graffiti. boomer nostalgia for you know that that. But I wonder if like because you know it's like it would be like shooting in a mall now, like because there are so many empty malls, oh, yeah. you do that shit for cheap, and you don't have to worry about like you know shooting down in a downtown area. There's not going to be any people there because you can see a lot of the shots in this scene are really tight shots, and it's probably because they did not have enough people to fill out this place. So you'll see when there are certain scenes where the camera will pan left or right. And it's like, oh, it looks fucking vacant yeah. when they really pull back. But like everything is a real t- a tight shot. Yep. And they're all sexy people, young, making out. Yep. It's and yeah, it's it's supposed to be the well, same. not everybody is young and sexy. <laughs> it's supposed to be the seventies, but everybody is 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 like in their fucking eighties fashion. 
And they're all like, yeah, they try, they throw in a few, like, uh, like kind of leisure suit looking dudes and like guys with like a true wasted pant. But for the most part, everybody in this scene looks like they're in 1983. And so everybody except the hippie and his old lady start making out like every, like every single car just devolves. She's not into it. She wants to watch the movie, uh, which is, I think the house that cried murder. And uh, it's yeah, it, it's so if there's and like I said, everyone's making out, including a girl who takes a huge draw for cigarette and immediately leans in to kiss her boyfriend. Oh, <laughs> there's nothing hot about oh, that. Just, oh. just a just a just a mouthful of menthol. Oh, God. So Parliament <laughs> Virginia Slims. <sighs> so Maddie Simmons, played by Louise Lasser, is also at the who is awkward from the giant. I oh my god dude everything about the sort of like intimate moments in this movie make me cringe like fucking crazy and this is exhibit a because i don't want to be unkind here which is a great way to start a. <laughs> i don't want to be unkind but she plays this role like she has been kicked in the head by a horse <laughs> she and it does not help that they try to make her look younger like she has like this real kind of holly hobby, uh, more like baby Jane Hudson aesthetic that's so fucking creepy. It's well, and it is like, are you trying to make her look younger? Because by making her look younger, you're making her look worse. I can't tell if they if they made like I mean they must have made an attempt to sort of be like, okay, so this is 1974, and so she's gonna look a little young because in the next scene when we when we jump forward ten years, she's wearing practically the same dress. She's got her hair in the same exact style with the same yeah. shit in her hair. And like just really heavy makeup. Yeah, yeah. So, so she's at this theater with a guy who is the slowest kisser in the history of the human race. They stare. He's a real scumbag. Oh, he sucks. Too. Fuck this guy. I wish Terry could have killed him. So they stare at each other awkwardly while he slowly, very, very slowly, and deliberately moves in. But oh god, it's so gross. No, it is. It's the worst. She doesn't want to go too far because her boys are sleeping in the back. T- of the station wagon. And they are in fact, because we, we see them. So undeterred, he slowly with a bizarre plastic machine gun laying across. I, I know I, cause it, it, it disappears and then it reappears later in Terry's room. So yeah. Ah, kids toys. They just don't make them like they used <laughs> nope. to back when America was great. Realistic, realistic rifles. Yeah. It's an assault rifle kid. Yep. Undeterred. He slowly, ever so slowly goes to kiss her again and this time the boys wake up and one of them says mom's at it again yeah mom's at what again oh she's a hoe making out with a deadbeat in the front like is this happening a lot she's trying to she's trying to land a man yeah she is so they slip out the back and they go wandering around the lot yeah, one of them goes, let's get out of here. Like, yeah, go go hack some people to death. It doesn't make a lot of sense as, but there's so many points in this movie where it is just like, how do we advance the plot? I don't fucking know. Just put in a weird moment. Yeah. Get to it. Like, there's no deus ex anything. It's just like, I don't know. Then this happened, I guess. <laughs> yep. It's like, they just sneak out of the, the bed of the, uh, what is it, station, station wagon. wagon. And like, oh, let's go out and kill somebody. Like, what? Yeah, so t- what is the what is the prompt here? Yeah, Terry finds a hatchet in the back of a pickup truck, and he takes it with him. And then wandering some more, he finds the guy from before, from the restroom, yeah. the one who bought the rubbers, yeah. fully naked. Fully naked. Fully both nude of them. in the back of the car. <laughs> no. Now, 
Now, if anyone has ever had sex in the back of a car, it's uncomfortable to begin with. Nobody's getting fully nude <laughs> at all. These two, though, they are like at home, very comfortable. It's like, it's like they got a waterbed in the back. Yeah. Well, it is 1983. They probably do. They better have a waterbed. Oh, I know. There's nothing better in this world <laughs> than smoking pot and having sex in a waterbed. I heard that in the movie. <laughs> yeah. So, that movie is pieces, y'all. And it's great. Episode three, watch it. <laughs> Terry leads in, watching them do it while Todd lurks in the background. And when he's busted by the guy for watching them, Terry starts whacking the dude in the face with a hatchet. And then the lady takes off screaming into the night, fully nude. Yeah. <laughs> Just like you do at a drive-in, I assume. Yep. So back in the station wagon, Maddie stops the slow kissing dude again, who gets frustrated, proclaiming this time, this is why I don't do women who drag their kids around with them. Okay, fair. <laughs> uh, fair if you're a dirtbag from the yeah, 70s. When she looks back in the... Disco stew does not advertise. <laughs> and when she looks in the back, the boys are gone. So now, Terry, absolutely covered in blood. What he does mm-hmm. is he smears a little on his fa- on his brother Todd's face. And he puts the hatchet in his hand when everybody comes over, including Maddie. But Todd is now catatonic at what, catatonic at what he has seen. So obviously everybody assumes that Todd did it, even though his brother is absolutely covered in fucking blood. And also the girl who was in the car saw them both. <laughs> she should be able to point out which one was the killer. Yeah, but could she? Because they're twins, you see. Well, they are dressed yeah. differently. So, yeah. But she was fully nude and running away. So who knows what she yeah. saw. So now we flash forward 10 years and mom has an age of today. Nope. She still looks creepy as hell. She's got those Louise Lasser jeans. She visits Todd at the mental hospital that he's been locked up in ever since. And her doctor, his doctor tells her that Todd is starting to remember what happened and he blames his brother, but she won't hear it. For some reason, this is all done in voiceover from the doctor's notes. Here's why I think it's done in voiceover. My guess is they showed up in Florida to make this movie. The person who was supposed to play the role did not show up. And so what's her face? Can't can't her? Is that yeah. her name? She jumps in and she's like, fuck it, I'll do it. I'm I'm game, because that's what you do. But she does not know the part. And so they have to do ADR later when she's reading the script. Oh, okay. That's my theory on this one. I, I that makes sense. I'd buy it. Because it doesn't like she's in it a couple more times, but not she doesn't say much. Right. But the thing is And then she dies a hilarious She's death. she's she is an actress. Because she'd been in a bunch yes. of stuff before this. No, she's fine. It's just that it, you get the feeling like, oh, they just didn't. She didn't have time oh, she had, to yeah, she had no prep before they were like had to get, you know, fucking cameras going, yeah. get in there. Yeah. And they just, the dialogue has to come later. Yeah. So she kind of like peas and carrots is her way through it. <laughs> and then they fix it yeah. in post. So the doctor brings out Todd to see his mom. It's Thanksgiving and she brought him pie, which he mushes up. Okay. Which... I missed the pie part of this. So when he starts crushing <laughs> this thing, I was like. Did she bring up like a box of peanut butter? What is that? <laughs> what an odd gift. Yep, he mushes it up in his hands and angrily throws it at the wall. <laughs> I love this. I love this scene because he's like, he's like very intensely just mashing it up. And he has this like look. I think they do a pretty good job because they're both played by the same person. They do a pretty good job of differentiating Todd and Terry aesthetically, like visually. Todd has this like shell shocked 
wet look to him all the time. Have you ever watched uh, I Think You Should Leave? Yeah. Uh, they, so there's that guy, that, that actor, Connor O'Malley. He, I, I, whenever I see Todd, I think of Connor O'Malley's character from the Honk If You're Horny sketch. Where he's just... I, do, I did see a, a sticker that said that on some of my cards. <laughs> I have not seen that. He look, yeah, he's all like disheveled and fucked up, and they look almost identical. Because, yeah... But he make, they make him look a little bit silly. Like, it's like, okay, I get that you need to make... like You have to be able to tell these two apart for the sake of the film. But, like, he just looks like... You know, this is someone who is, uh, by their account, not mentally ill. Um, maybe traumatized a little bit, but, like... He is like catatonic most of the time. He, he looks like a uh, his his uh, performance is like that of a frightened dog. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 fair. So back at home, Terry, the other twin, is playing football in tight. Oh boy, in tiny short shorts. Ahoy, tiny, everybody! Tiny shorts. And none of the men in this scene are wearing underwear, just FYI. <laughs> I don't know how they could. <laughs> yeah, because yep, they're all wearing. There's like three dudes. There's a couple yeah. of chicks. And the dudes are all. That is like some real 80s. Oh, yeah. Real 80s like, fashion. This is like real. This is real like eat shit and live kind of territory. <laughs> You're right. They, they must. Those shorts must have had something to contain them because like these, their, their balls could have just fallen right out of these things. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, he's got his uh, dapper 80s friends and their girlfriends. When along comes Andrea, head to toe in a jazzercise outfit, who is home from... Nipples McGee. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. Not a bra to be seen in this movie. Nope. Well, hey, it's fair. Nobody else is wearing underwear. Why should she? <laughs> it's a very egalitarian set. Yeah. So Terry takes an immediate shine to her, in spite of kissing his girlfriend Karen only seconds before. So now we cut to dinner. And everybody is in extreme close up and it's just shot after shot of people like laughing, just having a great time. Like the scene in Ron Burgundy where they're and, and, uh, an astute, an astute observation has led to laughter. An astute observation has led to laughter. We are laughing. It, it's very like. Uh, this is again a moment like when when younger people are like, oh, the '80s were so cool," and I'm like, "No, no, no! This is what the '80s oh actually my God. looks." That's the thing is the fashion and the uh, decor in this movie are fucking vile. <laughs> I have a note in here that this movie is a perfect time capsule of like the yep. of the early '80s because which is why it doesn't work in 1987 because it is it is a really ugly movie yeah uh that is it just it feels so out of time yeah yeah and like especially once we get into the apartments because the apartments were very clearly built in the 70s because there's like thick shag carpeting on the floor and there's like a yeah it's like that it's like that shitty apartment you lived in in florida yeah yeah that's accurate or that shitty apartment i lived in in weymouth <laughs> which i like to think of as massachusetts's <laughs> yeah it really is. It's just like wood paneling and like all the, all the brown is offset with green. It's a sort of environment that really makes you want to throw up. Yeah. It's like this avocado uh, uh, carpet. I think there's carpet in the kitchen, which I always find disgusting. <laughs> there's probably carpet in the bathroom, which I find double disgusting. <laughs> yep. Oh, this movie makes me want to. 
So there are so many notes that I have that just say whatever the note is, and then it says, "God, it's so eight. <laughs> it's in here like nine yeah, times. We've got uh, there's a woman, there's a character in this movie who I just I don't know her name. I just call her '80s lady because she is the fucking icon of the '80s, and we'll get there. So Maddie and her boyfriend Brad announced that they're getting married, which leaves Terry shook. And meanwhile, oh, and Terry has Terry has on a, a shirt with a popped collar and a, and a tie. tie. The tie is very loose, which doesn't it doesn't work that well. No, but he's he also he is also like quintessentially eighties in this. Like he is the oh yeah, like gently feathered the hair, proto yuppie. And um, it, it's I I I see a lot of parallels between him and like Patrick Bateman. Hmm. I hate that book. <laughs> so Maddie, meanwhile, is looking seriously unhealthy because we get a lot of really tight close-ups of her face, and I don't know if it. But I think that just Louise Lasser just looks seriously unhealthy. Like I don't think that's the character. I think it's just Baby Jane on camera. Like that's just how she. <laughs> that's looks the thing. At that's that my I can't tell if it's because of makeup or that's just how she looks. And again, I don't want to be unkind. She's not. It's it's just that she looks so. It's like uncanny valley. Like. Her teeth are huge and like her, her, there's so much fucking pancake makeup on and she's got this garish like eyeshadow and her hair is in ribbons like a little girl's hair. It's just really, the whole thing's very unsettling. Yeah, like her eyes are also very dark in a way that doesn't, it like that says like, I have not slept much lately and not like this is makeup. It's really. Yeah, because of fucking dollhouse cocaine. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. So. Terry proposes a toast to this announcement by lifting a and he is drinking a milk. tall glass of milk. I can't like okay, we just talked about how fucking disgusting this decor is. I can't imagine anything more disgusting than Thanksgiving dinner and a big glass of milk. <laughs> big. I don't like milk at all, but Jesus, big, Ugh. thick, warm glass of get out glass God. of whole milk on Thanksgiving Eve. Ugh. I know, and so. Their body language, him and his mom, is alarming. And the, yeah, there's some real weird shit in this later. Yeah, yeah, and the way that she holds him and caresses him, I'd like to think that it's some kind of subtle to, device to indicate the unhealthy nature of their relationship, but I think I might be giving the movie a little too much credit. I, maybe not. The 80s seemed weirdly preoccupied with like subtle incest in ways that it's like, what? Is this? like prom night two. Yeah. It's got the, I mean, that's real kind of over, but like it's real, like caressing in a way that makes everybody uncomfortable. It's just like, Hey, we're not, we're not saying that that's what it yep. is. Like we're not crossing any lines yep. here. We're just going to, you know, put you on your heels a little just, bit. Uh, and boy, do boy, just a lot of like kiss. And then she says, I'd say that this big bird is ready for carving. And my note says, I think she's talking about the Turkey question. mark. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, while all this is happening, Maddie receives a phone call and she uh, retires to the kitchen to take it. And then uh, Terry follows her into the kitchen. And, it's, and this kitchen looks like the, the, the house we lived in in like 1985. That's what that kitchen reminds yeah, me of. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And she uh, we, we find out that that the, the, that was the mental hospital that called informing her that Todd is missing. And she says, uh, she, she's basically like, we need to, we need to keep this between us and don't tell anybody because I want this Thanksgiving to be perfect. And I don't want to ruin it with this. Now I'm going to, I'm going to interject with a note here. And again, I don't want to harp on her appearance, but I'm going to tell you this. 
this is how I know that the camp in this movie comes mostly from Louise Lasser because given the dress that she's wearing, I'm just going to have to assume there are no gay men involved in this. <laughs> it, because that dress does nothing for anybody. I find, oh my God, I find myself repelled a little bit. Again, God, I don't want to fucking make this about her appearance. But it feels like a very... Del- but her appearance feels intense. It feels intense. Because that's not what she looks like in real life. Like in, in life, she doesn't look like this weird kind of bottom shelf Jane Hudson. Like it's it's this very like it, her her teeth look fake, her tits look weird, her dress is awful, her hair is in pigtails in this kind of like little girl pageant show way. Like everything about this appearance is off-putting. And I think that's either intentional or she just like didn't understand the assignment in the weirdest possible way. Yeah. Yeah. It's God. Like, it's not like a comment. on like, Oh, she's an unattractive woman. I don't give a shit about that. And I don't think she is. I think it's just like whoever did this or why they did it. I think this is done intentionally and it just doesn't make sense because there's no explanation. There's no context for it whatsoever. You're just supposed to kind of pick up on it through, through just watching it. You know, and I think the only reason that I, I, I really ever sort of noticed it is just because in the last year I've watched this movie a bunch of times. So, like, it, it's it's subtle. It's too subtle for a movie that just has zero subtlety, you know? Yeah. Like, if you watch the other shit she's in, like, even if you watch, uh, you know, in, in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, she's she's like, a, you know, she looks a little Southern. But, like, other than that, she's a good, fine-looking woman. Oh, yeah. Like, I, she looks normal. I, there's nothing weird about I would, her appearance. I would call like, her pretty, for sure. Like, there's there's she's a, she's an attractive woman. She has a very uh, 70s look about her. For sure. She's very 70s aesthetic. But, like, you know, she's a fine, attractive woman. But, like, that's why every time I see it, it's like, this feels like it's being done intentionally. I just don't know who did it or why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in the next scene, Terry emerges from the kitchen. The first thing he does is tell everybody at the table that his brother escaped to his mother's horror. Yeah. And so after dinner. I mean, I don't know how you'd know. Like, her, this is what her face looks like the entire movie. <laughs> she just has this, like, kind of shocked, horrified look on her face the whole time. Resting shocked face is what I would call yeah, it. Yeah, or, like, baffled. <laughs> like, she's just like, where am I? Yeah. So after dinner, she retreats to her room to stare at a wall of photos of Terry when in walks Brad, who sits down and starts making out with her. Yeah, Brad is really aggressively handsy in a way I do not like. So I watch, you know, one of the things that we pay attention to as we're watching these is like shit we wouldn't have noticed as children. And the thing that I am bothered by a lot is how physical men are with women. And it bothers me when I see it in public in general. It bothers me when I see it in movies. And he is so aggressive. He's grabbing her face. He's grabbing her arm. Yeah. Now, Brad is a disgusting beast. And I don't <laughs> mind saying that. Brad looks like his face is melting off of him. Like, he looks like he is made of wax. And he is terrible. He, yeah, he looks like... We don't have to endure him for long, though. He looks like a um, father character from uh, like a forgotten 70s sitcom. Yeah. It's really like however much however much pancake makeup Louise Lasser has on, he has three times as much. <laughs> yeah. So And he just like he looks old and sick and terrible. But yeah, the way that he he sits down and it looks like he's just gonna comfort her, but the first thing he fucking does is he like he, he puts his arm around her and he pulls her in really, really fucking tight and close. And then he grabs her by the fucking chin 
Yeah, he does the Shelly Winters thing, that commanding, like, I'm in control of this scene. But I just hate watching men grab women. Like, I mean, I hate watching men grab anybody, but, like, I hate watching men grab women in that way. It really bothers me. And so the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, well, thank God he dies soon, because this guy sucks. Yeah, I fucking hate, hate, hate this character, Brad. So she pushes him away, declares that she just needs to clean the house to feel better, oh. which kicks off just a frantic series which is another moment that's like is this an ad lib line <laughs> yeah because this really dominates the character for pretty much for the, the rest, rest of, the, of movie, the movie this is what she does uh but yeah brad we find out is the super of the whole condo complex and he informs oh but oh he wait. has like he has super uh, condo complex super energy yeah. oh f- yeah yeah he's he's a bureaucrat 100 percent. he's like i'm the general of this army oh, but i but i for this i forgot Jacksonville complex. As we cut to Terry. He he goes to answer the door and he's ambushed by a hospital orderly at the front door. <laughs> this door is awesome. Who, yeah. Who accosts him with a tranquilizer gun. Now, so Todd's doctor is also there and she de-escalates the situation and Brad and Maddie come running up and on seeing the gun, she shouts, what's that gun? Yeah. And then she goes, Dr. Berman, have you found him? And in the greatest, flattest moment of this entire movie, she goes, no, I haven't even looked yet. <laughs> Just gotta be upfront with you. It's like it's like Tim Curry and Clue delivery. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So now we talk. Now, Brad, we find out he's super in the whole place. He informs the doctor where she should start looking for Todd, uh, which is uh, out of the back patios, and they have a nature trail out out of the backwoods. And so Jackie full of bobcats. <laughs> yep. Nothing but alligators and bobcats. <laughs> Jackie, the orderly is told to go and search the patios while the doctor goes out on the net on the nature trail. Now, much like everybody in this movie, Jackie is here to die. Yep. Uh, and his death is pretty, pretty fucking funny. Yep. So, yep. In his office, Brad cacks, uh, cracks a cold can of old style beer, listens to a little rela- religious programming on the radio. While Terry sneaks up behind him with a machete. And uh, for a movie made in Florida, that's a pretty authentic touch there. When I when I was mm-hmm. when I was moving down there at the radio on the whole time because we didn't have a CD player or anything in the truck. And so it was just like scanning the fucking airwaves. And I swear to God, there was many just religious programming stations like after a certain point in America, they had as many as like rock stations. It was it was a little mm-hmm. fucking crazy. How folksy and offensive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so before the carnage starts, he introduces us to Chekhov's gun, uh, which is literally... Chekhov's plastic gun. Which, it's a toy. Which could not look more fake. Because later on, it's it's an actual like prop pistol. No, there's a different gun. That's right. But there's two... There's two anyways, there's two guns in play in this movie. And I, I think I suspect that both guns are the same prop. But in this yeah, scene, they look like the same he gun. takes out what is very clearly a toy pistol. Yeah, it is like very obviously plastic. And I don't I think you would even notice that you know, if you're watching this on what it's probably shot on 16 millimeter. Um, if you're watching it on the big screen, you would still notice this is a plastic gun. Like the color is worn down in certain places. Like it's not even a new toy gun. It's a used toy gun, which uh, come on. Uh, I know. So when he turns, Terry chops his hand off. He says something like, well, look what the cat dragged in. But before he can finish what he was saying, Terry chops his hand off. Now, my favorite thing about this. So the hand hits the floor with the beer can in it. With the beer in, in still in it, and it's supposed to look like a PBR can, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, 
And so in like the hand is still twitching. Now, IMDB lists this moment as a goof, quote unquote, <laughs> because it's like something about like, well, the human hand doesn't have the nerve. I'm just like, oh, my fucking God. Seriously? Yeah. Listen, listen, horror people. Just shut up. Just shut the fuck up. You're all taking this shit too seriously. This is not a goof. This is a dumb moment. Yeah, do we also want to comment on the fact that that part of your of your wrist has two bones in it and not the one that you see? Yeah, fuck it. Who cares? No, no, because none of that Who matters. Who gives a shit? You know what I say to them? Hey, shut up. Just yeah. shut up. Yeah, you're ruining the movie. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, bl- yeah, so we see the bl- hand with the beer can still in it, blood spurting from the stump. And now, meanwhile, Jackie and the doctor wander around in their respective locations looking for Todd. And it's real Keystone Cops. Yeah, it really is. And so Jackie... This is like, this is this whole movie is nothing but bumbling people. This, one, this scene in particular. Jackie decides that he should lure Todd out with a little weed. Mm-hmm. Sits da- like you do. Yep, sits down on some stranger's patio and lights up a joint. Now, in walks Terry with a machete conspicuously tucked behind his back. And the two of them smoke the joint. And so when Jackie tells Terry that Todd told her that he never. And Jackie's like, you just say Jackie's like legit douchebag. Like he's got on like cut off, uh, it's like sleeveless sweatshirt. He's got a real shitty mustache. Yeah. It's like kind of not quite there. He's a, to- he's a bit, he's a gigantic dummy. It's like when a 14 year old tries to grow a mustache. It's like, <laughs> ugh, I feel bad. Like I, you don't know how bad you look and I am embarrassed for yeah. you. It's that kind of yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, he, he starts to tell Todd that that or starts to tell Terry that Todd is like remembering things. And he said that uh, he told the doctor that he never killed anyone, which Terry says, yes, he did. And he runs him through with the machete, which I kind of like that moment <laughs> because he doesn't say it like out loud. He says it kind of under his breath and then stabs yep. him. Yep. And so uh, this is actually this is one of the one of the cool special effects in the movie. Because there are moments in this movie that work really, really well. It's just a shame that they're in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, uh, machete, not really a stabbing weapon, but who gives a shit? You can see the blade actually sliding through Jackie's body and what is a really neat illusion. I don't know how they did it because it, you, you, the way that he's uh, positioned. It's a, it's a thing that wraps around. I don't know about this one in particular, but. I know this because of another thing we recorded recently where it's like a thing that wraps around the body and has a, a like a, a, a thing in the back that slides out. Oh, no shit. So when they push in on the front, so like the whoever the actor is, like closes their arm or something like that, and it pushes the thing oh, out. Oh, that's awesome. Because it, it's like every time I watch it, I'm like, I watched it a couple of times. I'm like, like damn, that's a really cool effect. Because it's it's the same effect that he does in um, Sleepaway Camp with the arrow. The oh neck, yeah, okay. Where it's like a thing where the other half of the arrow flips up from the back. That's right. Yeah, because um, you know, just like the way that Jackie's body is positioned, it's not like they stabbed him through the arm or something like that. Like it's it's right. very it's very impressive. Uh, but uh, yeah, effects in this movie, while not great. Definitely cut above the norm for the era. Also, way more explicit and gory uh, than yeah. This there are moments in this that are really vile. Yeah, the movie was very likely made on pocket change, and they really make the most of the dollar in the effects department. It's uh, it's it's very impressive. Back at home, Maddie sits on the floor in front of the open refrigerator in the weirdest fucking scene in this entire it's movie. One of my she's just pulling shit out of the refrigerator, eating it with her hands, like. 
this is again is that moment of like, what are you trying to convey to me? So are you trying to convey that you're mentally ill or that you're a really fragile woman and like you're so shattered that this is how you're coping with this? Because like I kind of get it, but at the same time, what the fuck? So I, this is the thing is I suspect that all of these scenes of her just like rattling around the apartment being crazy were the stuff that was shot after Grismer came back. And they were like, I guarantee some of the conditions were, okay, we're just going to do this without everybody else. Um, and so it's going it, to, it's so it seems like she's in an entirely different movie just by herself. Cause she is, she's seated on the floor like a child and she's stuffing her face with like eating with her hands, like a maniac in front of in yeah. front of this open refrigerator. It's yeah. It's like the, the, here were the notes for this. Everybody else understands they are in a slasher movie in 1983 and they behave as though they're in a slasher movie in 1983. She heard slasher movie in 1983 and immediately like flashed back to hysterical woman from a horror movie in the floor. Oh no, no, you know what it is, is I guarantee like, she was like, ah, oh, like us, what's up? Like what, it, like tell me what kind of horror movies, like what are horror movies now? And somebody was like, ah, oh, you know, like Rosemary's baby. And so like she watched just the wrong movies as reference material. Yeah. I don't remember anyone in Rosemary's baby sitting in front. Of, oh no, 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 no. In front of the refrigerator stuffing their face with their hands. <laughs> I love this shot though. It's very, very fucking funny. It is so strange. It is, but this is like anytime that someone's like, oh, well, camp is this. No, camp is this. This is camp. Camp is Louise Lasser fucking cramming grain beans in her mouth with her goddamn hands. This is the fucking eat a bag of dicks, <laughs> fucking Susan Sontag. That's camp. <laughs> Yeah, this is save that for the t shirt. <laughs> this is the archest shit you've ever seen. So out of the woods, Terry finds the doctor and attacks and she stands there like a moron with her mouth hanging open instead of running. So back at home. Yeah. They really waste no time though. Like really get into the killing in this. It's just like, well, they're getting married. I guess that's why he's got to kill people. Yeah. Let's get to it. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it definitely, it has a very strong start. It sags. And then it really, really hits. Is this the part where she's, she's dialing the phone and, and pouring, pouring a humongous glass? Because of that wine. made me so anxious. <laughs> oh, right. Cause she like stops pouring it. And it's like, is she going to spill it? Yeah, I can't I can't do things like that. I have to do one single thing at a time. And she's like dialing with one hand, pouring with the other. And just, I think she's got a lit cigarette and what like in the in the yeah, probably. Yeah. It's, it's 1983. Why wouldn't she? Yeah. This is this is the part of the movie where whatever she's doing diverges from the rest of the movie. It's like she's in an entirely different picture. Well, because she's also it, it, it's it's worth noting she is separate from the whole movie. Yeah, because there's she exists in this world. Everybody else has people to play off of. She never does. No. She has Terry occasionally, but for the most part, she's acting by herself in this weird tiny apartment. So it's like, even if you got to give her some credit, like if she doesn't know what to do, because one gets the feeling there's not a lot of strong uh, directorial presence in this movie, yeah. and so you, she sort of kind of seems like she's just left to her own devices. And it's like, all right, well, I guess I'll direct myself in this weird one-act play in this, like, fucking lockbox. Yep. So everybody else has a movie to be in in an ensemble cast, such as it is. She is sort of really off on her own, and you feel that the whole time. Oh, yeah, this is like she's doing a one-woman play of uh, women on the edge of on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Like, that's yeah. what, yeah. 
So yeah, out in the woods, we see the aftermath of Terry's encounter with the doctor. She is torn in half. What is hilarious about this though? Cause obviously it's, it's a very, it's like a very simple practical effect, but they didn't do enough to build up the torso. So like her head is normal. Her shoulders are normal. The rest of her torso, cause she's kind of cut like right in the center. The rest of her torso is like half what it should be. Yeah. So it's like something came along and ate half of her. <laughs> Just emptied her out. Yep. And so, yeah. So now Todd has found his way home. Uh, and yep. Terry is in the bathroom examining all the yep. gore all over his clothes. Showering, showering in his underwear. Showering in his underwear like you do. He licks the blood from his fingers and he utters a phrase they loved so much that you're going to hear it two <sighs> more times. It's not cranberry sauce. No. And, and I, you know... It feels I have I I am on record as being uh, I have a very low opinion of trauma movies. I hate them for lots of different reasons, mostly because I think they, they do not take anything seriously, which I find offensive. <laughs> and the the I this line of that's not cranberry sauce. It feels very trauma to me. It feels very juvenile. Like hey, right? Yeah, it's real funny, right? And it's like okay, yeah, it's actually not that funny. Uh, but also stop saying it because it's not going to get funnier when you say it more. It's not, it doesn't work. Like oh no, that. they love it. They, it's not like that cycles back around. Like what is it? Three times where it's like, eventually you say it enough that it becomes funny. This isn't that no. this is, line is just fucking dumb. Yeah. Uh, and so, but God, did they get some mileage oh, out of it? Man, it's alarming that they were like, Oh man, that's some fucking gold right there. It's like the crown jewel <sighs> of the entire movie. Ah, so Maddie frantically cleans the stove. And then she makes another phone call, and then we see who she's been calling, Brad, who is totally dead and posed in his office. And this is basically, she's going to spend the rest of the movie doing this. Yeah. She's going to call him. Screaming into the phone. She's going to call him several more times, uh, culminating in the crown jewel of the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, so, but for now, we, we cut over to Andrea, who is the, remember, she's the new girl. Yeah, she's a sexy one. Sexy one. She's uh, She's like the Chrissy Snow of this. (laughs) Babysitting in a nearby apartment. Uh, Terry, all cleaned up now, he arrives, and she immediately throws herself at him, asking Mm -hmm. what his major is, psychology. Well, actually, first she offers him a nightcap, a delicious bloody (laughs) Mary. You know, a nightcap. What you drink at night. He's, his major is... Su- I can't think of anything more disgusting. Uh, Here, we're, uh, we're getting ready for bed. You want a, a white Russian? <laughs> no. No, I don't. Here, let me make you... And also, I have to go. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, yeah. So, so psychology is his major. Hers is partying. Yeah, partying. Yeah. This is another one of my notes that says, so 80s. So Terry, however, wants none of what she's offering and instead turns on the TV. And this is this begins a really weird pattern of a sexual pathology in this movie that I find fascinating. Because it's very like it's this is where this movie, the inconsistency of the whole thing really shows through. Like you get that scene at the beginning where it's like, oh, who's this hot chick? And it's like, well, okay, that's all in the eye of the beholder. But and he's like super into her. And then now he's like totally cold to her. It's like, I, or, or I get that we're trying to convey uh, psychopathy, but it's also like, I don't get it. You were ready to fuck her 45 minutes ago. Yeah. Like what's going on? And I mean, I guess we'll maybe figure it out at the end. I don't know. So Todd arrives uh, at his home, but he finds the back door locked. 
Now, at the same time, Terry's girlfriend, Karen, arrives at the front door, but she receives no answer. So she goes. Listen, Todd, you don't just touch people, okay? Another. You can't just another touch another like fucking that. Torgo scene. Yeah, <laughs> and like it's a real Torgo yeah. scene. So she immediately. We got your complimentary crazy bread. <laughs> I have your order of Mister Pib. So she goes out back, accidentally runs into Todd, who she mistakes for Terry, and she thinks he's high. Well, she's such a dopey bitch. Like I. I my note says, "Bitch, he looks shell shocked and crazy, not high." No, no. right? Because the, also the way he like his his pose, his, the way that he carries himself is entirely different. Like he may as well be completely soaking wet and shivering <laughs> and holding himself. Like everything about him says raped, not high. Like it's just it doesn't. He's at the, nothing about this. Is he's right. the victim at the end of the movie that they throw a blanket yeah. a blanket over in an ambulance. Yeah. I mean, and you know, she's like real kind of like Chinatown Lori Laughlin. Like she's not the best actor. In the <laughs> no, she's one of my least favorite characters in the whole of the whole thing. You're like, well, why didn't she die? Yeah. So now yeah. she then tells him that she wants him to make love to her. And my note says these people are all offensively. <laughs> but the way that she says it, and maybe I'll dig up the clip and just put it in there because you got to hear it. It's not, there's no allure to it. There's no, no, there's no drug. It's so matter of she fact, just, in, but not even in like, like cheesy, like a uh, lady romantic fiction kind of way. It's more just like, I want you to do me. Yeah. But not even like that. Flat. She's like, well, it's almost like an actor in a high school play. She's like, uh, kind of hemming and hawing about it. And she goes, well, I want you to make love to me. Just like Look, that. I want to see that high school play. <laughs> In Florida. Blood Rage. The play. Yep. But then he reveals himself to be Todd, not Terry. And she excuses herself in a hurry. And now on the run. <laughs> Meanwhile, Louise Lasser's vacuuming and drinking a giant glass of wine. <laughs> yep. Uh, frantically vacuuming. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, she she runs into Terry's doofus friends from before. And then one of them, a guy named, I think his name is Artie, he takes off looking for oh. Todd, while the other one, whose name I think is Greg, just immediately puts the moves on her. Yeah, again, offensively horny. Uh, it's that thing of like men grabbing women again, where I'm just like, God, just keep your fucking hands to yourself. Yeah, but like also her her body language with them is also very fucking weird, particularly with the Artie character where like she like embraces him in a way that's supposed to be friendly, but she kind of wraps her body around him. But they're, they're all like that. All the way, this is how you know this is like ultimately written by a man and directed by a man, not just any man. It's written by the man who wrote zapped and the that's sequel right. To zapped, yes. Which if, if people don't know, zapped is a sex comedy starring Scott Bayo. Yeah. Where he uses his it was terrible. Yeah, he uses his telekinetic powers to rip women's clothes off. Yep, nothing, <laughs> nothing uh, offensive about that. So it has that vibe of like this is how women act around men. It's like, well, no, not really. This is how men think women act around men. Yeah, it's how they interpret things. But no, that's not what this. <sighs> is. But yeah, she's real. Like, well, Terry's not around, so I guess you'll yeah. do. Like, who are these people? Yeah. But you don't get the feeling that like. You know, when when characters like this get presented to us in movies, it's usually like, this is grist for the mill. Like, you're not supposed to like them because they're going to die. Because, again, everybody misinterprets how we're supposed to feel about horror movie people. But in this case, it's like, no, I think you'll just think this is how people are. 
like, well, this is how young women are. Like, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, I've got. <laughs> it never there's, was. There's another scene coming up where I'll get into sort of my feelings on the way that this movie sort of portrays sexuality, <laughs> because it's it's very particular and it's such a, a distinct characteristic of the movie that I, I it makes watching it a little difficult for me. Well, it's you know what it is. It's that thing of when you have the sort of dominant culture making a thing and portraying. Uh, people who aren't them in the movie when the people who aren't them watch it they're like oh you must misunderstand something like if we do that it's because we have to not because we want you so it's like when when these like 80s portrayals of women it's like oh they're real hyper sex and it's like no 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 you don't seem to understand you could have asked one but you didn't and so it's like you don't understand like this is just how people have to get by and that's what the, I mean, that's essentially where like postmodern studies comes from. It's like this idea of like, what if we, we looked at something in a way that was different from the way it was made. Yeah. And that's how we end up with like the way, you know, how we look at things now. But like at the time, it's so weird to watch like, well, this is just how slutty girls are. Yeah. It's like, no, no, you don't seem to get it. If anyone ever behaved in a way that even remotely resembled that, it's because they needed to do it in the moment for a particular reason, and it never fucking occurred to you that that's why they did yeah, it. Yeah. And that's how this whole movie feels. It feels like violent zap. <laughs> I mean, I guess zap is kind of violent zap. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, We now we cut back to Terry and Andrea, who were watching Grisman's prior movie, Scalpel. And it's a, a scene of violence, and Terry is very entertained by this. Uh, she puts the moves on him, and he rebuffs her, but in walks the eighties incarnate in the form of a lady who owns the place. Yeah. She is a good time gal. If ever there was one. Hair is piled on top of her head. She's got this ridiculous black dress on and she's going to throw herself at a guy who is also not terribly interested in having sex. with. I her. was very confused by this moment though. Cause I said, I said, who is this person? And Michael was like, what's well, the woman she was with at the beginning? And I was like, no, I don't think it is. I think this is a new character. Yeah. Yeah, because this we've not seen her before. She's the woman. She is what you call a floozy. She is a floozy. She's gonna marry her a rich guy. Yep. She is out. She's out to trap a man. As a <laughs> boy, does she yeah. ever? So now the two parties meet up: Terry and Andrea, and Karen and whatever those guys' names are. Uh, Doesn't matter. Yeah, they all get together, and then Terry leads the rest of them to go look for his brother. But there's like, there's a bit of there's The thing is, is there's a bit of, of back and forth and character play in that pre previous scene, because the eighties lady comes in with a date and he is this like weird, like sweaty, nervous guy who who's really judgmental. Like, I feel like they're trying it, at a lot of points in this, they're trying. It, it feels like new New Yorkers criticizing Southern people. Yeah in certain ways. And this is one of those moments where he's really kind of like, he's moralizing in the whole scene. And he's just like, well, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. And it's like, sir, they're drinking bloody Mary's at nine 30 at night. They don't know how to drink anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's that kind of thing where he's, you know, she's like, well, could you maybe pay the babies? Cause that's why she's there. She's the babysitter. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, I, I guess I'll do it. But he seems so like, well, you kids shouldn't be here. It's like, you are all somehow the same age. Yeah. So I'm not sure what's happening anymore. Well, he's, he says something like, um, 
because she left out like alcohol for her to drink. And he's like, hey, I don't want you to get in trouble. Like you could. Yeah, but like shitty alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I got like I got some thoughts on, on her little her little her little mini bar. But anyways, back at home. Maddie is still cleaning up a frenzy, polishing up, polishing off that bottle of wine. In walks Terry, who informs her that Todd is here. And then she tells him to get Brad, who will know what to do. And also put a sweater on because it's cold outside. Yeah, I and that was definitely out of I love that fucking line, man. But also, again, with Brad, like Brad will know what to do. It's like Brad, first of all, Brad is dead, but also... <laughs> Brad at no point has proven himself to be like a leader in anything. No, the first, I guess I just see, he just looks like his face is melting off. That's all I've got. The first thing that anybody should have done is call the fucking police. And nobody does that. They're all just like, well, that's the weird part. Is there are points when people are like, well, should we call the cops? And like her fucking douchey bro-y friends are like, no, we'll deal with it. I'm like, how are you going to deal with this? What are you going to do exactly? Like, everyone's real cavalier about the psychotic killer on the loose. Yeah. yeah. In a way that is not befitting a horror film. <laughs> yeah. So, so, meanwhile, Todd finds the body of the doctor out in the woods. And he tries to put her back together. And then he encounters a little girl out looking for her cat. I, hey, tell- I, just, I, I don't like kids. And I don't like kids in movies. <laughs> and I definitely don't like them at all. Uh, he tells her to go home and lock the door and not let anyone in, no matter what. So remember that for later. Mm-hmm. So Andrea teaches Karen how to drink tequila, which is that whole lemon mm-hmm. and salt thing, which I never understood. And my, so my note says everyone in this movie is awkward and gross. My second note after that, that again, so this is so 80s, but also did people ever do this? Do the tequila thing? Yeah. I used to see people do it all the time at like parties and shit. Like they would bring tequila and they would, yeah, okay, but they would act, wait, they would act what kind of parties? like fucking teenager parties. Okay. And so like everybody would do this. And the way that, the, the way that it was always sort of explained to me, cause I never did it. I, it was like, why would I want to fucking eat salt and suck on a lemon? The way that it was always explained to me was tequila is like really intense and it sort of like makes it palatable. But like I used to drink tequila just right out the fucking bottle. Cause I was an alcoholic. And I, it it's not. It's just fucking. Tequila. I mean, I can explain to you the way that all these adjunct things affect the thing that you're drinking. It'd be a really boring story. I'm not gonna do it. But it just seems like a real '80s thing to be like, yeah. Then you got to do this, and it's real sexy. And it's like there's nothing sexy about what you're That's doing. That's gotta be it. You're licking your hand. Yeah. You're licking your own hand, and you're from Florida. <laughs> yep. I don't I this uh, the thing struck me as like this feels like a real 80s yeah. moment and I'm just like I don't think I've ever seen anyone it do it. It must this. have been like a frat like a fraternity thing, like a frat party kind of thing that just sort of like bled out into the broader culture because I can't I've never seen it in a movie before the 1980s. So it must have been something like that or it must have come from a fucking magazine like Playboy or something stupid like that. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah, that seems right. Yeah. But uh, anyways, back at 80s ladies apartment She's trying to seduce the nervous suitor she was with earlier, and she remarks, uh, as he remarks at her extremely '80s mini bar on the table. And mm-hmm. let, let me paint a little picture for you. So it's all these like little bottles of like cream de menthe and like banana liqueur. It's like there's not a serious bottle of alcohol on the table. It's all. Yeah, if this were now, it would be nothing but a fireball. F- fireball, which fireball, which I will say, I will quote you as saying one time to me decades ago. Fireball is what sorority girls drink because it makes them feel sexy. 
Yep. That is what I think every single time because I see little shots of this, uh, you know, scattered around the sidewalk or whatever when I'm out like walking around and every time I see it, I'm like, who is drinking this? <laughs> Cause this shit is vile. It's so gross. It's disgusting. But you know what? It would also, also it'd be like white claw would also be all over that table too. Oh, yeah. this movie. Hey everybody don't drink white claw. <laughs> don't drink alcoholic seltzer. It's disgusting. <laughs> so gross. If you're going out and you don't want you don't want to consume calories, just don't drink beer. <laughs> yeah. This whole movie Have a soda and shut yeah, up. This whole movie is a fucking time capsule. Then This whole movie is a white claw. <laughs> it's the, the white claw of horror. Yep. Really? So then she excuses herself to go get into something a little more comfortable. And good, good God when she comes back. My God. This is a boudoir outfit if ever there was one. <laughs> Yeah, costuming provided by Fredericks of Hollywood. It really, it is, it is a fucking ghetto. Yeah. So while she's gone, Terry comes back to the condo, and we're introduced to Chekhov's baby while she's getting ready. And so she then comes bombing out of her bedroom in this ridiculous outfit. It's like this red and black lacy lingerie set, and she kind of like now this. This feels like it's straight out of place. Yeah, she. Now this feels like it's straight out of hospital. Yeah. <laughs> She's got a little. She's got a little robe that goes with it. She throws herself against the uh, the door jam, and just and then she realizes that she's by herself. She's like trying to be all sexy for this guy who, by all accounts, is not into her, or, or anybody, and probably never will be. So, uh, uh, when she 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 finds the nervous guy gone, so she looks around a little bit, and then she goes to her door and she looks out through the little keyhole thing, and uh, she sees him. But when she opens the door, she finds that she saw his severed head just hanging there. And this is what we'll call one of the less successful effects. It's a, it's a very goofy looking effect. It is a very rubber Extremely head. rubber head. Oh, uh, yeah. So then uh, she backs up in horror. She finds that Terry is in her house. Now, this is, I think, the only point in this movie where it actually feels like a real horror movie. Because there's something about his... Uh, his kind of acting in this scene that is a little bit chilling. Right. Cause he, what, he, what is he? He says, like he comes up behind her. This is after she knows that he's there, but he kind of comes up behind her. Oh, that's right. She's, she's trying her. to put the her coat on in order to run out the door. And he helps her put the coat on. And he does it in this really kind of gentle way. That's very like, it's a little bit unnerving. And then they just cut away. I, and it's like, oh, I, I do. I, okay. I like it. It works. But I thought that scene, I'm just like, this feels like a different movie because this really works. Yeah. So uh, Todd, meanwhile, he breaks into his mom's house and he finds Terry's room and he's looking at the life that he never had. And then his mom, on the other hand, is wasted. And she passes yeah. out in the hall. Like a, like a sack of potatoes just right to the Slopes floor. right down. Todd takes her to her. It's, it's like someone dropped a China doll on the floor. <laughs> yeah. So Todd takes her to her room and she wakes up thinking it's Terry and he plays along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, don't like this. Part. Yeah, I don't gotta do that. Don't do that. Back at Andrea's place. She... Oh, you're not gonna finish what happens in that scene? Well, you like you know... when she says, "Come give Mama oh. a kiss," and then kisses him full on the mouth, yeah. passionately. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you you forgot you forgot about that I don't, moment. I didn't wanna... Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. It's so fucking gross. <laughs> it's very it's very gross. You don't kiss your mom like that. 
Look, Fate picked this one for us, but you picked all the other weird incest ones. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, that's true. Though, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Butcher Baker's on you. Yeah, I guess so. So, and that one's that's that's the hardest one. <laughs> I'm your girlfriend now. Holy shit! No. Yeah. So now, um, back at Andrea's place, she finally found a guy to make out with. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, everyone's being real cavalier and hilarious about the killer on the yep. loose. Uh, and they and K- uh, Karen plays Atari with Artie, uh, who's the guy with the good hair. And then there's a scream from her bedroom. I'm sorry. Can, did you just say good he's hair? He's the good hair. He's got the whole blow dried thing going on. His bro, his his buddy. His he's not he's not as, he's not as into it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm just gonna say objectively speaking, that is not good <laughs> that's that's it's good hair. He's got good hair. It is full and lush. That's, sure. Maybe that's maybe that's, what, not I, that's what I mean. It's, it's just it's he cares for it. You can tell that there's product involved. Anyway, scream from her bedroom. The two the two kids go to see what the deal is, finding Andrea dead on the on the bed. But it's just a joke. It, These are like very uh, very different makeup applications that they have. Like the the implication is that the two of them snuck into the bedroom, did like a real quick horror or Halloween costume makeup. She looks like a dead person who has been smacked in the face with a baseball bat a bunch of times. He has like a little cut on his yeah. chin. <laughs> yep. It's like, you look like someone who spent four hours in the makeup. They chair. only had so much time for makeup and they spent it all on her. Oh, yep. Uh, so uh, with everybody mad at them, Andrea and Greg go off to play a little tennis by night. Just a little night tennis. Yeah, but, you know, like, uh, it's the 80s. Yeah, but not before we get a little... Ch- Doing cocaine, <laughs> playing night tennis, <laughs> running around, wearing short dresses. Put dick in the sink. <laughs> yep. But uh, also, not before we get a little cheap skin with a shower scene. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, she's, she's showering in a way that suggests... Her bathroom opens out onto everything else in the apartment, and she just opens all of the doors, including the front door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, back at home, Maddie gets on the phone. and Oh, uh, here we uh, go. Here she goes, everybody. This is the windup. She uh, starts yelling at the operator because she can't reach her boyfriend because this is a real, real emergency. Yeah. Allow me. <clears throat> Operator, it's an emergency. This is a real emergency. He's waiting for my call. <laughs> I was in the red the whole time. That was time. pretty good. That was pretty good. So, because she has this inexplicable husky voice for some reason a, that she's it's just a, real. It's the voice of a woman who smokes a lot. It's so weird. Yeah. But that's this is Louis' last role for the rest of the movie. Operator. He's waiting for my call. <laughs> now, uh, Greg and uh, Andrea, and play a little. I love that the other person in my apartment doesn't even look when I do anymore. <laughs> he's like, ah, oh, shit, he's doing a podcast again. He's like, I could just be, be recording. He could just be in the kitchen. <laughs> just practicing your Louise Lasser. <laughs> yeah, and Greg and Andrea play a drunk tennis at night while being stalked by Terry. And then they go, they decide to go and have sex on the diving board. That was another moment. That was another one of my moments. It just says, this is so 80s. Oh, my God. Yeah. like they, they, Because drunk night tennis feels like the most 80s thing you could do. It's a very, that's very much like white people in the 80s. Like, yeah, like you got there in your DeLorean. You got out. You went to play some drunk night tennis. Yeah. You, can't, you can't afford a Ferrari, but 
you got some tennis rackets. There's a tennis court at your condo complex. You know, you're living the you're living the high life. Yeah, this movie is extremely white. Very, yeah, couldn't possibly be any more white. So, meanwhile, Maddie pouring her heart out to the operator about her son escaping from the mental hospital. This is this is real actor monologue material. I really hope that there are people out there like auditioning with this. But you get the impression that like she might have actually called like the operator or something. Cause at one point it's just like, what number do you want? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but then there's also parts where I was like, I wonder if she's actually talking to anybody, like in the context of the movie, you can hear at some point, you can hear somebody say something else, but it might not be. It might just be a recording. Yeah, cause, cause at one point she's like, she's like, what, what? But like, what you you have no idea what she's re- what she's reacting to. It's just a woman going crazier by because the moment. she is wildly unhinged at this point. Yeah, time. yeah. Because this is what happens when like you have Louise Lasser just playing a role by herself for the entire film. Yeah. yeah. So, meanwhile, it's like Will Smith in that that shitty remake of uh, Last Man on Earth. What the fuck is that called? Oh, I am Legend. Oh, I am legend. It's that. It's just like you, you just get you're gonna get crazy. Yeah. This is just it's just you. It's a one man show. It's all on you. And Louis Lasser really was the Will Smith of the years. <laughs> this is I've always said. Yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, Andrea and Greg engage in what is one of the most awkward sex scenes I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. I it is because it's it's very much like the one from the beginning where it's just like fully nude. But they're just kind of laying on top of each other in this weird way of like, if a kid had two Barbie dolls, I'm just kind of <laughs> smashing them, <laughs> smashing them together. Yeah. And it kind of has that vibe to it. It's like, this is not how anybody has sex, even boring, straight white people. So here's the thing. This is up there. For me, this scene is up there with the hot tub scene from Mad uh, Madman in just oh, wow. in just terms of awkwardness. I can't, but I, I find that very hard to believe because that scene in, in Madman is fucking <laughs> yeah but like uh, but my my note says it's like it's it's like the people who made this movie are virgins yeah because the way that these two are are interacting i mean it would it would make a lot of sense they're just like, if they're if they're going around grabbing women like it's that. like it's like you said they're just laying on top of each other and he is just like gingerly kissing her on the lips thankfully terry comes in and slashes them up to no, say waste no time save us from the further cringe so now, out in the woods, Artie and Karen walk along the boardwalk. Now, these two have way better chemistry than anybody else in the movie. They, they actually do. Yeah. Like, you feel like these are people who know each other. Yeah. Whereas everyone else, it just feels like you just met each other on the set of a community play. <laughs> yeah. So they're having a heart-to-heart about why Terry is so distant. And then Terry scares them by uh like because they're on this like it's like a boardwalk it's like you know it's like the boardwalk in uh what's the fucking movie silver bullet yes it looks like the exact same boardwalk yeah. uh, and uh but so like it's basically like we get this shot you know, just just uh, out for a stroll in the swamp yeah. and then terry like reaches up and grabs her by the ankles and then and then you know he jumps up and there's a little bit of screaming and some what the fuck dude and then uh Artie goes to find greg and andrea leaving Karen and Terry to make out on the couch. Uh, but before he gets far, Artie is accosted by Todd in his car, mm. and he convinces him to take him to Terry. Todd's just soaking wet. Soaking wet and angry, and he came across a 
For reasons that don't make any sense, why does he look so damp? Because <laughs> he's like sweaty and nervous. Okay. That's... Yeah, it's kind of like um, Steve Railsback in any in any role. He's always like sweaty and nervous in every single shot. It's just the flop sweat just comes with the being you know anxious oh. all the time. Well, that and cocaine. Coca- <laughs> cocaine will do that too. But uh, yeah, he wants him to take him to Terry which he probably could have done on his own since he was in his own house earlier. So this is the moment though. This was another moment where I'm like, Oh, they just didn't know how to advance the plot. Yeah. Cause he's also, because they do. He does take him to Terry. They open the door and then he runs away Yeah, and he gets a gun somewhere. I remember there's a scene of him taking the The gun comes. So this is the third gun. So there's one gun that comes from the toy gun from Brad's office. There's the tranquilizer gun. And there's the third gun from the doctor's purse. That's right. Yeah. And that's the one he has. No, it's it, and it looks like the same gun. Yeah. They're all the same gun. It's, it's all the same gun. Yeah. It's the same prop. He makes like he's going to shoot Terry with Chekhov's gun, but he runs away instead. And this is the moment where it's just like, oh, you just didn't know how to move forward. You had to find a way to get the two to confront one another. But you couldn't figure out how to do it. So you cut this like weird contrivance to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So now Greg and Terry give chase, but once they're out in the woods, out on the boardwalk again, they find Terry's weapons and among them a carving fork. They also find the machete, which is all gory and shit, to which Terry remarks again. It's not cranberry sauce, Artie. And then he. It's not cranberry sauce. And he kills Artie with the fork by stabbing him in the throat. And, and this scene is fucking brutal. It is. Uh, and then he remarks again. That's not cranberry sauce. I find scenes like this a little bit uh, upsetting when they do they do something that like reminds you that a person is being killed, and it's usually like a physiological or biological thing that happens where it's like, oh, this is an actual body that's being destroyed. And in this moment, he stabs him with the fork, and his feet like they cut to his feet, and they do this weird like his feet turn in in this really awkward way. Oh yeah, that look like these are about to give out under him, and it's like for that brief moment, you're like, oh god, yeah, because it doesn't feel goofy or silly. It actually feels like a person is being killed in front of you, and that's another one of those moments in this movie where you're like, oh right, this is a horror movie, and every now and then it's very effective. Yeah, yeah. Now Karen finds Terry all covered in blood. He tries to pass it off like Todd did it, but then he attacks. Which one's Karen? She's God, I fucking hate she, I know. People. They're all the fucking same. She's the original girlfriend. The fine oh, are God. ostensibly Oh Lori Lori Love. Yes. Ostensibly the final girl. And then uh he, he attacks her while he's telling her that he loves her. And then she hides in a closet outside the patio and Terry almost barges in on her until he seems to get a better idea. Also She's all up in there with Jackie, the orderly's body. And when the corpse inevitably scares her, she jumps out to find Terry sitting there with Greg's dead body, uh, manipulating his arms and laughing like a crazy person. The goofiest, best moment of the movie. (laughs) Because he's just got his hands and he's like slapping them together to clap. Oh, yeah. yeah, At one point, he takes one of like one of Artie's arms and like grabs her butt with his hand. (laughs) But this is another one of those, again, where like his performance you know, a lot of the time he feels like he's like, he doesn't even want to be there. But then when he does lean in, you're kind of like, you get it? Because there's, did you ever see that movie uh, Behind the Mask? Oh, yeah, I love that one. 
it's a little bit like that where he's this kind of real goofy character for most of the movie. Even when he's killing people, it's like, that's not cranberry sauce. But every now and then there's a moment where that that kind of humor turns to menace. Oh, sure. The, the, the entire, this is one of those moments. The entire third act of that movie is they, they, they twist it to remind you, this guy's a murderer. Remember? Right. And they do that here. Every now and then, and the, the you know the part when he kind of creeps up behind a lady and like puts the coat on her, and you're like, oh, that's a little chilling. This is another one of those moments where it's like his his demeanor turns like after he's clapping his hands together and being really goofy, and he's just like, that's not very nice. And then he kind of gets up, and you're like, oh, well, he's gonna go kill her now, though. Yeah. <laughs> like it works. It just it's it's just everything like the whole fucking movie everything about this movie is so inconsistent <laughs> yeah. that like you never really know what's going to hit and what's not yeah. and most of it doesn't yeah. so karen now goes running around knocking on doors the only person she finds home on thanksgiving night is yeah, this is why i hate kids it's the little girl who is told by todd not to let anyone in and she follows her advice yep yeah she's not gonna save this lady and she's a bad actor <laughs> Also, the tone of her voice and the pitch bottom. <laughs> it's like nails in the ears. Yep. yep. At the uh, So at the next place, she finds Chekhov's baby all by itself because Terry is also there pulling the machete out of 80s lady's body. <laughs> and uh, then now there's more running and screaming. She tries to go out the back, but Todd is there and he scares her. So she grabs the baby and runs. So now back at home, Maddie, finally off the phone, finds Terry's blood, bloody shirt. Well, because she she places a call that is the wrong number, but then she's like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. It's you. And then she's like, what? All right. Because no, there's there's who is this? There's a couple more of these like Maddie. It's getting real Patty and Selma the further I go. (laughs) Yeah, because there's a bunch of like Maddie on the phone scenes. And there's one that I completely skipped over where she like the the, uh, I think the operator like hangs up on her and she's like, you can't leave me like this. You can't leave (laughs) me all alone. The thing about her and I think it's maybe what it's it's after she finds the shirt. It's like right now it's after she finds the shirt in the trash is that it's that moment that you're just doing that she starts to play it really straight. And you do, you're like, Oh, Louise Lasser, first of all, is a good actor, but also it's too serious for the movie where you're like, she, she's playing it. So like, uh, like you feel bad that she's alone and scared. It's like all of a sudden, again, it's that inconsistency where it hits and you're like, Oh, I don't like, I don't like this older woman being terrified. I don't want that. Yeah, you know what it is? Is it's, it's, she's isolated from the rest of the cast in these scenes. And so she has, there's no direction and she has no context to sort of play off of. So she's just interpreting the material as best she could based on what she saw on the page. And she says as much in the, in the interviews that I watched, she's basically just like, I just did what I thought I, what, what I thought would work in the moment. Yeah. And, but in, and for most of it, it's like real campy and goofy and over the top, except for this part where you're like, this feels like she's playing it so straight that it's like, uh, I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. So now she runs to Brad's office and she barges in, completely failing to notice the blood and gore on literally every surface. So this was the moment she says, I didn't, I had no idea. Like, this is why I think that the directing on this was really poor. She's like, I had no idea what I was supposed to do because I've never been in a horror movie. I don't watch horror movies. And so I don't really know 
coming upon someone because his head is cut in half, yeah. basically. Yeah. And she was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to react to that. And so she kind of does the best she can, but it's really like she has almost no reaction to it. Yeah, it, but before she does that, she's she's outside, and it's basically it's this big like sliding glass door behind Brad, and she's pounding on it with both hands, and she's shouting, but we can't hear her. So it's kind of like the scene with Rick Moranis uh, in the tavern on the green <laughs> in Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> and so she she eventually she bursts in and then and then she sort of slowly goes up to Brad, who's like kind of like positioned in a way that he's like cradling his his head in his hands, but he's dead and one of his hands is gone. And then she she sort of nudges him and he falls over and his head splits in half. And I love it. It's so gross. Because you get a really good look at just like this cross section of the dude's head. Um, but then you get that moment of like it's like the the scene in um in sleepaway camp, when Nell finds one of the bodies, he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get him, Meg. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. get him." She has that kind of moment where she's like, "I'm gonna make it right. I'll make it right. Don't oh, worry." Oh, that's like, right. Because yeah, what is happening at this point? It's just like the whole movie has just fallen apart completely. Right. Because now Chekhov's gun is in her hands, and so now we cut over to the pool, where Karen finds a moment of solace with the baby, but Terry catches up with her, and she hides in a locker room. Hiding the baby. I'm just gonna say this: this condo complex is cheesy. As it, it is. It's it's got the '80s written all over it. It's got a ten, it's got tennis courts. It's got an indoor pool, fucking stucco walls <laughs> as far as the eye can see. Yep, it's got the head that must have had like terracotta roofing. Also, must have been. Of course. So she and just mold upon mold upon asbestos. <laughs> just black mold on everything because it's, yeah. it's everything is carpeted. So she stuffs the baby in a cupboard and then she finds the body, the dead bodies of Andrea and Greg in the sauna. And then she uh, she kind of hides herself away in, in one of the toilets. And then it seems to work because Terry comes in, does little performative crazy guy stuff to the dead bodies. And then he he does. He's like, oh, <laughs> you guys, it's a real goofy Gus kind of moment. <laughs> yep. And he seems to walk off after taking a leak, of course. Uh, and so we're, we're back at the pool and it turns out that Terry was just waiting her out and he attacks Karen as she runs out of hiding. He missed. Well, she's sitting, she's sitting there by the pool and he's, maybe this happens before she runs into the bathroom and he walks up and starts bouncing on the, on the diving board. The, yeah. the diving board. And she has a moment. It's very much like chili and part, <laughs> part three where she's like, Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Like it's this real like Jesus Christ kind of moment. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. So uh, he misses, and what she does is she sort of like runs out, and she finds Todd out by the pool, who's actually an actor wearing a wig that looks nothing like Todd's hair. No. Is it a wig? Holy shit. Absolutely. And this The cheapest one they could find. <laughs> and so, From here on out, this movie is bonkers. Yeah. So, so it's Todd, and, and he's, again, he's got the gun, and he fails to shoot Terry, and this time, Karen takes the gun, but she finds out that it's not loaded because the gun just clicks when she tries to shoot him. Um, and so also the, what this does is it cuts back and forth with a lot of like over the shoulder shots of like from behind of like whatever actor is doing the talking. So like if it's if it's Terry, we're over the shoulder of Todd, who's some dude wearing a wig. If it's if it's Todd doing the talking, it's some actor wearing a wig to look like Terry. But for whatever reason, the Terry actor looks way more like Terry than, than the other one. Like, I don't know what the deal is. They got a really good wig on him. And the other one looks like they went to spirit Halloween. Yeah. yeah. 
It is a, it is a big fright wig. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now Terry and Todd fight in the pool. Terry ends up winning, ap- appearing to drown Todd, uh, who can't swim, which makes perfect sense. Uh, and then Matt, but Maddie is here now with Chekhov's gun, uh, and she shoots Terry several times, killing him while Karen pulls Todd out of the pool. And this is another moment where, like, the like the 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 comedy that they've relied on, and the black comedy, I guess they've relied on throughout this movie, really undermines this moment because this particular moment could have some gravity because she shoots him a couple times and each time he has this really stunned look on his face, especially when she shoots him in the, in the eye. But it's like, they've been so dumb and goofy the whole time. That's like, it doesn't feel like anything because you, you've acted like assholes the whole time. Yeah. Like this should have been a real, uh, it should have had impact because the, the, because this, the end of this movie is really fucking bleak. And it's, it's, yeah, it's very abrupt because also the relationship that she has with Terry has been written in such a way as to be like, very unhealthy. Like she's the, he's the only man in her life. And she, yeah, had it's to, very she had to shoot him. And like, it really should have been more. Cause what ends up happening next, but that's because she doesn't know that it's Terry. Yeah. That oh, she shot. Yeah. So she, Oh, good God. I've never come to that conclusion. I thought that she was just delusional. Well, that's the whole fucking revolution. Would you shut it off with the last three no, minutes to go? Cause she starts talking to him. But the thing is, is he doesn't look like Terry. He doesn't compose that's himself. Why it like doesn't Terry. Work. He doesn't carry him himself like terry and so no he's a wet rape victim yeah. that he, he clearly like you should be able to tell the difference there i think that they really go out of their way to differentiate these two which is why this ending doesn't really work but it's still so fucking dark yeah and weird what she does is she comforts him but she's assuming that it's Terry that she's talking to. And she's like, don't worry. I killed him. I've taken care of it. We're, we're going to be together forever. It's all going to be okay. And then he starts shouting. I'm Todd. I'm Todd over and over again. And then she starts doing it as well. And, and then, you know, this part really, really kind of gets under my skin a little bit. Cause it's like, it's pure crazy at this point. And, as she, and it's also weirdly intimate. Like they're the way that they're touching each other until he stands up and walks away yep. and then starts like banging his head against the wall, but they're like caressing each other. It's very strange. Yeah. And then as she's doing that, she's, she slowly raises the gun to her head and she shoots herself. And, and yeah, then Karen takes off with the baby in her arms while Todd looks on in horror, <laughs> fade to black roll credits. And that is why it just, it feels like a movie made by a lot of different people who had a lot of different ideas about what was supposed to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's, I, that's obviously what I think that John Grismer very obviously had a, had a way different version of this movie in mind as he was making it. The Marion Cantor probably had a way different version of the movie in mind when she made it because they're both working from the same script, but both of them definitely seem to interpret it in wildly different directions. Yeah. They're very much at odds with each other on, on what it's supposed to be. Now, this is a hard one because much like elves, it's one that we did not stumble upon until relatively recently. I'm still uh, going to ask where, how does, where, how, so now does this play out now? Let's, let's, if I were to to sort of put myself in the mindset, like if I had seen this in 1987, um, I don't know if I would have liked this one because I probably would have been, you know, I was I was 12 or 13 at the time. And so I think my expectations 
of a, of a horror movie, of a slasher movie in particular, were, were informed definitely by the trends of the time. And like, it's also derivative in all the worst ways. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like it would have just been cheap. It's kind of boring in a lot. Like it, there are moments where it fucking drags, and it really does sag in the middle pretty hard. I don't think that this movie would have really kept my attention. Certainly because I definitely in the time did not have an appreciation for camp that I do now. And so now way different movie. I don't know if I, if I really like, I seen a lot of people recently being really in love with it. I think it's just okay. It's mostly yeah. it's, it's, I mostly watch it because I love Louise Lasser's performance in it. It's super fucking crazy and in all the best ways, but the rest of the movie is just all right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, you know, as, as I, uh, I, I am, I guess still relatively new to uh, social media, and I see all these people that are like, ah, oh, it's this time to watch this classic. And I'm like, I guess so. But honestly, this movie's not that good. Like, it was forgotten about for a reason. It was shelved for a reason. Louise Lasser's performance is so fucking bizarre. That's really the only reason to watch it. Because the rest of it, like, you know, with some, uh, the, the character of Terror, what's his name? Mark Silver. Mark Silver. Kind of plays him. Um, I think there's some interesting moments there. But, like, the direction is, I guess, competent at best. It's just not a very good movie. But also, the, weirdly, though, is that it doesn't contain the more objectionable shit that is really common to slashers, especially of that era, but even, like, uh, in the late 80s. Like, the, the kind of homophobia and the racism is not really there. There's also no diversity. That's the thing is, is I'm sure that if there were, if there were a much more diverse cast, they would have found opportunities to be racist because that's just how it was at the time. And it's a pretty tasteless movie, but like, it's just, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's just, it's not a good movie. No, It just isn't like, it's fun to watch once in a while. If people like, if you want to show it to someone who hasn't seen it, that's kind of fun. But just generally, it's a bit of a snore. Yeah. So I'll tell you, tell you what's not a snore. What do we? Uh, the next movie. What do, the next movie we're gonna watch. What are we doing next? Well, we're gonna be back in two weeks with a, a profoundly tasteless <laughs> film, the holiday classic, Silent Night Deadly. Ah, uh, yes. Does a guy in a Santa suit rape a lady? Sure does. <laughs> yep. Is that a horrible film? Absolutely. Oh my god, yes. With a with a quite a legacy. Yep. So, uh, all right, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to kick off the holiday season right, and you better believe that that's not going to be the last of the ho- of the Christmas horror yeah. movies we're doing. No, no, oh, no. We got a big one, one that we've been waiting. We're for. coming up on my favorite movie of all time. So, all right, be back here in two weeks when we bring you Silent Night, Deadly Night.